Good morning. Well, I'm incredibly grateful this morning to have an opportunity to talk to you about a story which resonates with me on many levels. So to put it simply, today's story is all about perseverance, uh, it's about patience, and it's about prayer. So as Dave kindly introduced me, I'm Helen. I'm married to Mike Allen, who you probably will have recognised from the, the welcome team. I am an art teacher at a local prep school. Um, I'm quite a passionate person. Quite often I'm described as being um, talkative. Those that know me will know that to be very true. Um, particularly if you get me onto a certain topic, I generally won't shut up. Um, I can be described sometimes as being a bit like a dog with a bone. Uh, I don't think that's always a compliment, but um, certainly Mike needs perseverance, patience and prayer. A great deal living with me. So um, today we are looking at four Ps. Although the four Ps we're going to be looking at are not really the same as these four Ps, because these four Ps, they're very sweet, they're all equal. The four Ps we're going to be looking at are a little bit different. We have a very big P today, and that is prayer. We have um, a P which introduces it today, which is position. And then we have two that help us apply prayer to our lives. That is perseverance and patience. So... If you're able to turn to your Bibles or your phones, we're going to start today by looking at Luke 18, verses 1 to 8, where we find ourselves at the start of a very short story with a very big truth. You can also follow it on the screen. The parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps on bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's not very often that we read a story in the Bible where we are given the purpose and the meaning right in the very first sentence. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. You see, I'm not lying when I tell you they give you the punchline before we start. It's literally handed to you on a plate. Always pray and do not give up. So Jesus tells a story of two very different people, man and woman, powerful and powerless, rich and prosperous and penniless. See, the judge would have had great authority, whereas the widow would have been very legally vulnerable. Now, we know from the Bible that God cares a great deal about orphans and uh, widows and those that are in need. James 1 verse 27 says, Look after orphans and widows in distress. Psalm 68 verse 5, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Exodus 22, verse 22, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. I was stunned. The Bible talks about widows 76 times. I think 
it might be something that's quite important to the heart of God. You see, this widow is a symbol of all those who were poor or defenseless. It's clear that she had no resources. She had no hope of receiving anything from this particular judge. And we know that she had an enemy from what this text says, somebody who was against her. So at this time, I think she probably would have had just three options available to her. Firstly, she could bribe the judge. Well, she had no money. That wasn't an option. Secondly, she could threaten the judge. Well, she's a poor widow. She has no power or authority. So her third option, persist. To muster up the courage to march on in the face of adversity. Now we come to the judge. I consider myself very uh, blessed to do the job that I do. I love working with children and I really enjoy teaching. But there are definitely days when my patience is tested and sometimes those conversations that come your way are handled with ever so slightly less grace than they could be. Where is your homework? Why aren't you wearing any shoes? Uh, Why are you poking George in the face? Um, Why haven't you handed in that work yet? Why are you shouting out? Why are you still poking George in the face? You see, I certainly have frustrating and difficult days. Um, Every day is different. It's it's a job where, you know, things are not always straightforward. But at the end of the day, it's the workplace that God has called me into, and I love it. This guy hates his job. See, Christ describes the judge as being weary of his job. Too many people with endless complaints and needs coming to him for advice, looking to him to solve their problems. For this judge, it has just become a job. It's not a duty or a calling. He's lost his passion. We know from verse 4 that he does not fear God. He doesn't believe in God's law, in obedience or even disobedience. It's like he's a law unto himself. And this is who the widow is up against. So, we come to our first P of the day, which is position. So, to find ourselves in the story, I thought it would be helpful to ask ourselves, which character are we like? Are we like the judge sometimes? Are we God-fearing? Do we truly revere him and honor him and respect him? You see, my radar for knowing whether I'm doing this or not is which decisions I let God be a part of and which ones I don't. Which areas of my life am I going to trust God with and which ones am I going to hide away? A really great example of this um, is when I was coming to the end of my teacher training degree, 2011, Mike and I had been married for about a year and I'd been applying for jobs and I was struggling to, to get anything. And it was, it was really disheartening. You know, I was really excited about starting my career. Um, I'd worked really hard to get my teaching degree and just nothing was really coming up. Um, now, it's important to know in our relationship, Mike um, is far better at handling finances than me. And therefore, um, he kind of, he's kind of very good with it. He, he looks after our finances very well. Um, but because of that, he sometimes has a tendency, more historically, to, to worry about our finances a little bit. So this kind of pending date of doom where I had no work was a little bit nerve-wracking and we could tell it was starting to become something that we were slightly nervous about. To, to live off Mike's earnings at the time was going to be tough. He was also doing his teacher training, so it was a concern. So I've been praying about the situation and I, all I got from God was that you're not going to work straight away, but I will provide for you. I've got something else for you in mind, um, but you're not going to earn straight away. Oh, okay. Um, and then it was confirmed to me by a prophetic word from a friend. 
even more nerve-wracking. So now I had this big thing that God had said to me, and I had to go and face Mike and tell him, God's told me I'm not going to have a job in September, and it's okay because he's going to provide for me, and everything's going to be fine. I wasn't really looking forward to it. Mike came in from football one evening, and he said, do you know, I've been praying about this whole work situation, and I just feel like God said, you're not going to work in September, but that's fine, and he'll provide something, and he's probably got something else for you at that point. Okay. So God had spoken to me, but he'd also spoken to Mike. Throughout the eight weeks that I didn't work, we both felt complete peace about our money situation, and God provided work at the right time. But you see, I had trusted that I had heard from God, but I didn't trust that he would also speak to Mike. I had trusted God in my work situation, but I hadn't trusted God in my marriage. I know it's something that I still need to work on. Are we God-fearing? Do we involve God in all our decision-making? The second question that really challenged me about the character of the judge was this. Who could we be helping that we're not? See, sometimes I think it's really easy to have an attitude of compassion, where you feel the Holy Spirit is prompting you or stirring you, but to act on it is the difference between having an attitude of compassion and a lifestyle of compassion. I speak to myself on this point particularly. You see, we can't just have a a value of compassion and love and mercy and generosity. We've actually got to have a lifestyle that demonstrates those values as well. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The judge has no fear of God. I know at times when God has not been at the center of my life because somebody else has been instead. It could be friends, it could be family. To some, it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend, maybe children. Sometimes it's our teachers or our boss. Maybe it's our ability to perform really well in the workplace. For some, like in the case of the judge, it might even be themselves. Somebody once told me it's not that everyone else's opinion is not important, just that they are secondary to God's opinion. We've got to keep putting God in the centre of our lives. If we're not careful, it's so easy to let this happen, but we can let the verdict of other people's voices in our lives drown out the most important one, and that's God's. See, this parable is not likening the God to judge, it's comparing the two. The God of the Bible is the ultimate judge. In the end, we give an account to him. He judges the heart, the mind, and the soul, but it's amazing because he does it from this incredible character of compassion and love. So that's the judge. Now we're going to move positions to the widow. How are we like the widow? What are the things that we need to keep striving for? What things have been placed on your heart that have been stirred up by the Spirit in your life? We need to be like the widow. We need to not give up. We need to persist in those things. What is actually worth fighting for? Mike will say this to me on a regular basis. She says, Helen, you can't fight for everything. And he's absolutely right. Some things are not worth fighting for. As an art teacher, 
One of the lines I hear the most often, particularly at the start of the year or within new classes, oh, Mrs. Allen, I'm rubbish at art. I can't draw. I can't possibly do art. I'm just, I'm just rubbish at it, and therefore I give up. It's a statement that always brings out the same reaction in me. I will find something that this particular pupil is really good at in art, and I will celebrate with them when they find it. And in the meantime, I will persevere with them, and I will battle with them every day, and I will show them with continued patience and continued practice, actually anybody can draw. I don't think I'd be a very good artist, art teacher if I didn't have that attitude. See, these are the battles that are worth fighting for. I wouldn't be very good if they came to me and I said, yeah, you're right, that's a rubbish drawing. I have to have that attitude of battling with them, for them, to prove that they can do it. In a previous school I worked in, on the very first day, I had a chair thrown at me by a very angry and hormone-filled teenager. Now, if I'd have picked up that chair and thrown it back at him, and if I'd have stomped out the classroom shouting as I went, I'm not sure I'd have been picking a battle worth having. See, sometimes I try and pick a battle to win it. They're not battles worth having. Trying to battle something for the sake of winning would actually have resulted in me looking more like a child than him. We need to remember to fight for things that are actually worth fighting for. Are we tuned in to the things that God has burdened our hearts for? I love the words from the bridge um, of that song, Hosanna. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. We sang so much this morning about his kingdom. Are we tuned into the things that God has burdened our hearts for? Is our worldly position getting in the way of what God wants us to strive for? Are we asking God, break my heart for what breaks yours? Are we being more like the judge or more like the widow? See, if this woman persisted in her prayers to a godless judge, how much more should we persist in our prayers to God the judge? This is a very clear invitation to be prayerful to a caring, loving, and just father. And that leads me seamlessly into my second P, which is prayer. This is the big one. If I may, I want to say something slightly bold. Sometimes we struggle to persist in prayer because we believe that prayer doesn't work. It is bold. Pray to pass an exam and then we fail. Pray for someone to get better and they don't. Pray for your marriage and it breaks down. Pray for that job and you don't get it. See, sometimes it feels like we are crying out and God isn't answering our prayers. Well, here are two things I've learned about prayer. The first thing, the best answer is not always a yes answer. You can tell I'm a teacher. If you're looking for somebody to give you exactly what you want, exactly when you want it, then you should definitely watch Aladdin because essentially what you're after is a genie. It's a brilliant film. But I found that God doesn't work like that. God answers prayers in different ways, three different ways. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes 
He says, wait. When I was about 12, I had started secondary school, and I really, really wanted a nose piercing. Why? I hear some of you crying. Well, I had a very good reason. Um, The most popular girl in school had one, and she looked particularly cool. So I prepared my speech to my mum, and uh, I, I told her it, it wasn't something I, I, I wanted. It's something I needed, okay? And actually, I'm 12 now, so I'm basically a grown-up. And, and actually, it's my body, so surely I can do that because it's my choice. And I gave her every single argument under the sun. Her response? Wait. You can't have one now, Helen, but when you turn 18, you can choose to have one then if you still want one. Well... You can see that, although not without a a very opinionated fight, I did wait, and then I thought better of it. Now, that's not to say that our earthly parents always get it right, or that I dislike people with nose piercings. Now that I choose not to have one myself, I actually don't think I could pull it off half as well as some of my friends do. But sometimes, the answer we get might not always be the answer we want. Does that make it the wrong answer for us? You see, we bring our requests to a loving father who sees a much bigger picture than we do. We need to trust him when the answer is no or wait. Prayer works. Even when we don't like the answer, prayer works. So why do we pray? If I were to answer that question from my point of view, I would say it's because we long to see the the hand of God moving in our lives or in the lives of others. It's our primary purpose for prayer. We want to see God moving in our lives. But what is God's primary purpose for prayer? How many times do we think about what God's purpose for prayer is for us? I don't know about you, but in the past, I've become so frustrated uh, that a situation hasn't changed or a person hasn't changed despite me praying over and over and over again. And then I take a step back and I realize that God might not have changed the situation. He might not have changed that person, but instead he changed me. He heard my prayer and he helped me to change so that I might deal with with the situation differently. So God empowered me to help change what I initially asked him to do. What a loving father is he. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray. Our father. We sung it today. Our father. We are praying to our father. Matthew 5 verse 44 says this. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm sure many of you have tried doing this, like actually praying for people who have hurt you or who have made you upset or angry or people you don't understand or get on with because they're just plain weird. It's actually quite hard to do. So why does God ask us to do this? I think God asks us to do this, to mould our hearts, to change us, to help us not carry around unforgiveness or anger or bitterness. He does it to enable us to care for them. 
You see, we must remember we're not coming to God in the same way that the widow came to the judge. We come to God the Father who loves us. He wants to know us. He wants to empower us to face the challenges that we meet with his guidance and with his Holy Spirit. So, many of you will know by now, and if you don't, then you should. I am a talker. I am opinionated at the best of the times, um, and I am a great talker. I love it. As a child, I would chat away to anybody, but my parents, I would talk about everything and anything. There wasn't a question I wouldn't ask them. To a certain extent, as Mike will vouch for, I'm still like this today. But I think this is how God wants us to approach him in prayer. See, kids don't approach their parents pretentiously or with a different voice on. They just talk. I think sometimes we could probably learn a lot about prayer from the honesty with which children speak to their parents. We don't have to speak eloquently. Prayer is simply talking to God. It's the means by which our relationship with him forms and grows. God spoke to me about prayer very clearly as a teenager, and it was always stuck with me. He said, if I was to answer all of your prayers in one go, whose kingdom is going to grow, Helen? My kingdom or yours? You can probably picture 15-year-old teenage Helen and all of her teenage requests and prayers. Whose kingdom's going to grow? My kingdom, Helen, or yours? If you're ever not sure what to pray about, I would start with these two things. The first one is personal renewal. Tim Keller says the following. He says, spiritual revival or renewal is a work of God in which the church is beautified and empowered because the normal operations of the Holy Spirit are intensified. The normal operations of the Spirit include conviction of sin, access to the presence of God, and creation of deep community and loving relationships. This starts with our own personal renewal. Draw me closer to you, God. Increase in me. Make me treasure Jesus more. Renew my love and my passion for him. How often do we pray those prayers? Probably very early on in our life, our Christian walks. How often do we pray them now? How often do we pray that we would live a life changed as a result of being a disciple of Jesus? It's probably something I could pray a little bit more often. Leonard Ravenhill was an English Christian evangelist and author. He said this, the only reason that we don't see revival is that we are content to live without it. That really challenged me. Are we content to live without it? So the second thing I've learned about prayer. Pray for the things we know are on God's heart. Are there things that you've stopped praying for? Praying for people to know Jesus? For God's kingdom to expand? Praying for healing, maybe? We need to pray for things that matter to the heart of God, and I think these things matter to the heart of God. So we know God speaks to us in a variety of ways, through the Bible, through worship, definitely spoke powerfully through worship this morning, through prophetic words, 
through a sermon. How many times do we listen to a sermon and ask ourselves the question, I wonder how this will change my prayer life? How many times do we listen to the news and ask that same question? How am I going to let this change my prayer life? I think the closer we are to God, the more we hear his heart. The more we read God's word, the more we understand his kingdom and his purposes. Let's go back to how Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That was so loud and clear this morning in our meeting. The closer we are to God, the more our prayers will be in line with God's will. We have to develop those habits of praying for things we know are on God's heart. And I think we are so blessed to be part of a church which encourages us. Prayer is right at its heart. To have leaders that motivate us and call us to prayer and encourage us in prayer. Let's really get behind it. We can start with personal renewal and praying for the things that are on God's heart. You'll be very pleased to hear that my last two Ps come together. And they are perseverance and patience. Look how happy they are. I was amazed by how much scripture backs up the importance of persistence and prayer. Uh, And patience, sorry. Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. Ephesians 6 verse 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Colossians 4 verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 13, never tire of doing what is good. Romans 8 verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In Hebrews 6, the writer links faith and patience together when he talks about the fact we will inherit what we've been promised. Paul in Colossians 3 verse 12 instructs us to clothe ourselves in patience. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There is a very loud and very clear exhortation for perseverance or patience. In fact, 12 times in the New Testament, it always comes towards the end or as a final encouragement from the writers. So to me, this suggests that the writers of these books, they understood something of the importance of these two qualities. I truly believe that God encourages, enables, and empowers us to have both perseverance and patience, and his word communicates it very clearly to us. So, I've decided that our lives are a bit like a marathon. Now, I find marathons astonishing because people are running and there is no dog and no fire. (laughs) I admire people who run. It is not my forte. So, I started looking into the the history of this and I, I found out where the word marathon comes from. This is what I found out. Legend has it that the first marathon commemorated the run of the soldier, Pheidippides. I'm going to call him Dippy, because I think it's a lot easier. So, the soldier Dippy ran from a battlefield near the town of Marathon, Greece, to Athens in 490 BC. According to legend, Dippy ran approximately 25 miles to announce the defeat of the Persians to some very anxious Athenians. So he had fought all day in battle, 
And then he ran 25 miles. Not probably quite in mid-season marathon shape. He delivered the message, victory! And then he keeled over and he died. Isn't that just like the Christian life? Bear with me. (laughs) We run the good race to Jesus. We proclaim his victory, and then we die. But we run to the end with perseverance to our Savior. So finally, how long... How long do we persevere for? Verse 7 and 8. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We need to persist in prayer like the widow persisted with the judge. Persist in praying for people in this life until this life comes to an end. That is an encouragement to pray without ceasing or losing hope to an incredible judge who loves us and cares for us and sees the bigger picture. So I'd like to finish with two stories. They're short, I promise. The first story is part of my own. Some of you will know my parents divorced when I was five. My dad remarried, and by the time I was nine, my mum had also met somebody new. So by age 10, we'd moved up here to Shropshire from Surrey, and my mum also remarried. But we found ourselves living with a stepdad who had bipolar depression, and he would go for several weeks at a time in his room, ignoring us, and it was not a particularly easy environment to live in at times. It was hard to see my mum go through a painful second marriage. But during this period... Although the house would often feel kind of uneasy and sometimes quite volatile, I really felt that God gave me an incredibly safe place in my bedroom. It was as if as soon as I closed the bedroom door, his peace just completely descended on me. Now, I recently shared my testimony at a, in a different context, and a friend came up to me at the end. This was just last year. She said to me, Helen, I've been praying for years that you would have a safe place when you were living in that place, that you would feel at peace and you'd be given God's strength to deal with what what you were living through. What an answer to prayer was that for all those years. You see, people were praying for me when I didn't even realize it, and yet it had a completely transforming effect on my life. Can I urge you to not stop praying for people? It can transform their lives and impact them in ways that you might not ever know. But we have a good and loving Father who hears us and answers us. My final story is about this guy, D.L. Moody. What a great name, Dwight Leonard Moody. So this guy uh, was an American evangelist who carried around a list of the names of 100 Christians. He prayed for the names on this list all his life, And over the years, his prayers for many of these people were answered. And whenever one of them became Christian, Moody would take out his pencil and he would cross their name off the list. It is a tribute 
to the power of perseverance in prayer that by the time of his death, no fewer than 96 of those 100 people in Moody's list had become followers of Jesus. What's more, the remaining four gave their lives to Jesus at Moody's funeral. Wow. What a story of perseverance and patience in prayer. I wonder if I could ask the band to come back up, please. So as I was preparing this week, I felt God highlighting just a few areas to me. And I'm just gonna, I'd love to finish this by praying for you, particularly if you feel one of these areas speaks to you personally. So I'd like to ask John just to play quietly. And I'd like us please to stand and close our eyes. So I started thinking about position. And the first thing God highlighted to me was this issue of trusting God with every area, with every situation. Putting God right at the center and including him in every situation. I think for some of us today, we might be struggling to do this. I know I struggle to do this sometimes. If you feel that's you, I'd love to pray for you in a minute. Secondly, I just felt there are people here who know that God has been speaking to you about something specific. The Holy Spirit has been stirring up something in you. God has broken your heart for something. But now it's time to take action. It's actually time to step out. I'd love to pray for you if you feel that's you. The final thing God spoke to me about this week was a sense of freedom in prayer. I think there are some people here who have stopped praying stopped praying for something. Maybe you've shelved something because you felt like God wasn't listening. And I really believe God wants to bring freedom to you today. So in a minute, I'm just going to ask if you feel like one of those is relevant to you. I want you to hold your hands out in front of you. It's a sign of just being open to him, being open to God. Just to remind you very briefly, firstly, if you feel you need to put God back at the center of things, to trust God again with every area of your life. Secondly, if you know God has placed something on your heart, he's stirring something up in you and you need to do something about it. And finally, if you stop praying for something because you felt like God wasn't listening, God wants to bring freedom to you today. So if any of these are relevant, I'd love you to just put your hands out in front of you. Just be ready to receive from him. I'm going to pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much for the amazing gift of prayer that you have given us. Thank you, Lord God. We come to a loving, compassionate, and just Father. I want to pray for this church, for this family. I want to pray you would make us a family that prays without ceasing, that prays with great hope individually and together. I thank you that you invite us to pray. You ask us to lean into you. 
you delight in hearing from your children. And I pray firstly for anyone here who feels they need to put you back at the center of things, who wants to say, today I choose to include God in every decision, the big and the small. Oh, Father, we thank you. You care infinitely about the big and the small. I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit and fill each person afresh today. Just breathe now by your Holy Spirit. I pray for new revelation of your love for each person. I pray they'd know how infinitely you care for them. Give them such strength and help guide them, Lord, as they seek to put you first. Father, I want to pray for anyone here today who's felt stirred up in their hearts for some time. For those who have a real heart of compassion for something or for someone and who now need to step out and take action. Father, I pray for great courage and boldness in this place. I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide them. Pray you'd empower them today. Pray for energy. Pray for enthusiasm. Pray that over people. Pray each individual would feel your presence close to them now and as they step out. Finally, Lord God, I want to pray for those who have stopped praying. For something, for someone, stop praying altogether. Who felt like a prayer went unanswered. Lord God, I thank you. We come to our Father. We know sometimes the answer isn't yes. Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait, but Father God, I thank you that you always hear us. I pray today for great freedom for anyone that stopped praying. Great freedom, Lord God. Pray you would bring healing, Lord God, and I pray you would just fill anyone who's feeling like that today by your Holy Spirit. Please, Father, would you come now and restore and strengthen their trust in you and bring fruitfulness and joy in the way they come to you and talk to their Father. So I ask you, Lord, that you would help us to hear you clearly in our lives. Help us to grow as a family that prays without ceasing, that prays with great hope for your kingdom and for your glory, Lord. In the name of Jesus.